0: Welcome to Raise Her Up, the podcast from the Girls' Day School Trust, the GDST. We are the UK's largest family of girls' schools. I'm Kathy Walker and throughout series one, I've spoken to some amazing, strong, inspirational women about their lives and areas of expertise. This episode is covering the conversations I had regarding allyship and so that you can go back and listen to each conversation in full, I'll let you know which episode each guest featured in. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, our allyship special. Grace Barrett was my guest for episode 13. Grace is a singer, actor, and now a published author. She also was a co-founder of the Self-Esteem Team, a group which goes into schools and talks about pastoral issues such as online behaviour and self-image. And then she moved on to focus on her new anti-racism education programme called I Am Ally.
1: I was really mindful when I was creating I Am Ally that I didn't want it to be something that perpetuated the idea that people of colour have to do this work. And whilst I understand that teachers have a lot on their plate, I think it's really important that this topic becomes something that kind of permeates the culture of the school, rather than it just being about a class here and there. And so the Main goal of I Am Ally is to upskill teachers. So the program that I want people to take up is this training and mentoring program for teachers that uses like a whole teacher assembly. And then teachers that are particularly passionate can come and sit in and shadow me delivering a class to students. Then they can deliver that throughout the school and also start to kind of champion, this is what we should be doing, like troubleshooting. These are the problems. Maybe you also end up then with a teacher in the school that other teachers can go to rather than having to come back to me all the time or to other people of color. Again, that's allyship.
0: I guess in that way, you are also preempting that sense of defensiveness or being an imposter that some people might feel when they feel uncomfortable broaching racism.
1: Exactly. But I think what that also does then for young people is it tells them that this is a problem for white people to fix around. June 2020, I don't know if you heard the analogy that Banksy put out, which was that racism is like a leak in an apartment block. So if the person in the penthouse has a leak and it gets so bad that it starts trickling down to the people below, the people below can't fix the leak because it's not a leak in their apartment. But let's say the penthouse for some reason just aren't fixing the leak. It becomes a real problem for the people in the apartments below. And so eventually they'll have to knock down the door and go and fix the leak themselves. Banksy was essentially saying that was the moment that people of color decided to knock down the door. But ultimately what would be better (laughs) is if the person in the apartment above would just fix the leak. That I think is key to bear in mind. You might feel uncomfortable. You might feel, do I have a right to be talking about this and doing education on this? But actually all you're doing when you do that is fixing the leak and you're teaching white students that moving forward it's also their job to continue fixing the leak
0: In this episode episode 13 we talked about what brought her to this point and she was very clear that the racism she had experienced throughout her life whether that was quote unquote low level or really overt and aggressive and unpleasant played a huge part in her own mental health journey and I felt I learned so much from her Professor Dame Leslie Regan was my wonderful guest for episode 20 of the podcast. As only the second woman and the first in 64 years to be elected president of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, let that sink in for a minute, she was able to speak about the cultural differences young women face around the world.
2: As a quirk of sort of history, historically, uh, many women's services were funded within Public Health England. After the Health and Social Care Act uh, of 2012, Public Health England's budget was cut by about 40%. That's an awfully large percentage. This had obviously knock-on effects on a lot of community services. So contraception, period management, uh, menopause treatment, uh, cervical screening to prevent cervical cancer. The vast majority of occasions when girls and women go to the doctor, they're just going to do maintenance stuff. They're going to have a cervical smear or they're going to get contraception. You're not ill when you have contraception. You only have contraception so you don't get pregnant when you have sex, which you hope is going to be enjoyable, as we started off by saying. So you're doing normal things. And the other thing at the other end of the life course scale, you know, when you become menopausal, you need a bit of help. A lot of women would benefit from having some replacement therapy because they've got a hormone insufficiency and they find it quite difficult to adapt to. We're very, very bad at providing them with those maintenance services to carry on with their lives. So um, I I think that's a really important point that all these services seem to be, well, many of them were funded by Public Health England and effectively they they took away much of the funding for the maintenance services and we became even more a disease intervention service. You didn't go onto the radar until you had a really big problem whereas if i was to draw you a picture of your life course we can predict what's going to be needed this is not clever stuff this isn't rocket science this is just common sense so rather than wait for you to fall over why don't we try and predict that um and that was what my, a lot of my arguments were when i was president at the rcog and you know i do remember on several occasions having to use sort of shock tactics, that sounds a bit dramatic. But, you know, I do remember saying to one a very senior person in the Department of Health, well, these poor girls who aren't able to go to school because of period poverty, they can't afford, you know, period products. This person turned around to me and said, well, w- which country are you talking about? And I said, this country. So it is extraordinary how cocooned, actually, I suppose, many of us are. So for any girls or boys who are thinking about doing medicine, we need lots of obstetricians and gynaecologists. And you can look after them. You do a bit of medicine, a bit of surgery, a bit of public health, a bit of epidemiology. There's a role for everybody. So that's my plug for my specialty.
0: Many women who are going through menopause or who are perhaps perimenopausal, like myself, are having girls who are going through their teenage years as well. Is that a perfect storm, the menopausal mum and the teenage daughter? I'm an incurable optimist. You know, there are
2: many, many young girls that I talk to who are really, really puzzled by, you know, their mum who's grumpy and this, that and the other. And they are very compassionate and very understanding if, if they're given a little bit more information. So it all comes to explaining things in ways that are accessible to the listener. And then they can become part of helping her to sort that out and vice versa. But, you know, when we did the... Better for Women report, we did a very large survey of 4,000 girls and women to really find out what women wanted. There are still girls in this country, Kathy, who the first time they have a menstrual period, they don't know what's happening to them. So we've got a lot of work to do and we can never, you know, rest on our laurels or be complacent about this. I mean, I I was really, really struck by that. And I I kept thinking to myself, oh, if my twin daughters, who are now nearly 29, if they started the periods and they didn't know what was happening, I, I just thought to myself, oh my God, I've let them down. But I, I do think that the key to all this is, is education. So, um you know, there's a marvellous quote by that fabulous man, Sir Michael Marmot, in his wonderful book called The Health Gap. And in it, he says at one point, if there was a single intervention that I could impose to improve health, it would be education. And in a global context, the education of women, because when you educate women, everybody benefits from it.
0: So I, I think that's absolutely crucial. This episode with Dame Leslie was brilliant to record because I really felt like I was in the presence of greatness she is somebody who has achieved so much in her professional life. And shortly after our episode aired, Dane Leslie was made the Women's Health Ambassador, the government kind of czar for women's health. And it was absolutely brilliant to see that she had been raised up further to be a really important voice for these essential conversations about taking the stigma Out of periods, for example, and making sure that there is the um, appropriate funding and discussion around women's health issues. In episode five of our first season, I spoke with former news anchor, journalist and author Janelle Aldred about how we can all communicate for change.
3: When anyone shares a view, they share it because they think they're right and they share it because they believe in it. So cancel culture, what that is, is like a mass rejection of your view and of you. But cancel culture for me is also about call-out culture because some things do need to be called out because some things that are said are offensive and they are hateful and they do, you know, make things move in a direction that is not respectful, that is not civil, that does not respect someone else's view. They want to be free, so whatever they want to say, but they don't want you to be free to say what you say. And that's when you have to think, OK, well, actually, maybe my view on free speech is not one of free speech. It's one of my speech. And I think cancel culture, you're kind of dealing in that same space, which is you might say something that is a problem and then people call you out on that. You feel cancelled because you feel rejected. Are you cancelled? That's a question that I think is up for debate. But I think the other thing that we need to do in some of these conversations is, take away feelings from facts. People feel cancelled. People feel rejected. Actually, maybe people are just rejecting your point of view, and anyone is allowed to do that. The issue is we all have very different views about what more fair and more just looks like. Rather than saying, I do want justice, but actually the way that I see justice being at work is not the same way as you, clearly. Well, we're never going to agree, but where can we find understanding? in terms of moving forward. But actually what happens is most people want other people to see it their way. They want them to understand justice as they understand justice, which is why all that ends up happening is we get into this big argument about what's happening, what has happened, how we feel about it. And what doesn't actually happen is we don't move into the conversation about, okay, so with this disagreement, let's come to an understanding, how do we move forward?
0: I spoke to Janelle at a time when we were seeing the exit of Donald Trump... Um, and the arrival of Joe Biden. And the topic of fake news and cancel culture and the cesspit that can be social media sometimes uh, was what people were talking about a lot. And I was really interested in her take on this because obviously we would like our young people to learn to debate respectfully and disagree respectfully too. And I think that Janelle talking about how you are absolutely not going to end up liking everybody that you meet in life, but that you have to find a way of working with them quite often was a really important message. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this special on allyship. If you have and you want other people to hear it, please leave a review. It'll help others discover all of the topics we covered in season one too. Philippa Perry, Tanya Moody, Baroness Saeed Varsi, Candice Brathwaite are just some of the brilliant guests I'll be chatting to when we return for season two in autumn 2022. Until then, I'm Kathy Walker, and from the GDST, this is Raise Her Up.